So how is everyone anyway? Good? Mm-hmm. I went to Sydney last week, as you probably know, just for um, the Baptist Union. Uh, it's actually the, the board of the Baptist Union of Australia to meet with them, but also a bit of a planning day. But what was exciting to see is the way the Holy Spirit is actually moving in a lot of churches. And one of the particular stories I just thought I really wanted to share with you is from a pastor called John and they got River Life Church, I believe it is, in um, Brisbane. And what's happened there is just amazing. He, he had a move of the Spirit in his own life, and that seems to be transferring over to the church. But it's really about dwelling in the presence of God, getting into the place of prayer and trusting God in that, and seeing what God can do. So part of what they did was when the, the floods came uh, to Brisbane, their, their church... Uh, they had a good relationship with the local member. The pastor was stuck on an island, so he couldn't get off, like not a real island, but an island created by the flood. So he had to ring up his church manager and say, hey, we need to do something. We want to open up our church for, you know, if the government wants it for relief or whatever, let's open up our church. They did that. And within that night, suddenly this, it became a shelter for people from the flood where they could come and be cared for. Anyway... What, what is noticed happening is that the connection with community has become stronger and stronger. That it wasn't about, you know, trying to reform or, you know, do things in a way that we're against this, we're against that, but open up their heart to help the community that they're in, which is exactly what God wants us to do as Christians, right? So let's fast forward a little bit. They were doing Alpha in the prison before COVID hit. They ended up having to get kicked out. Like, this is in the juvenile prison, so they were running Youth Alpha. And it all stopped. But after COVID, this amazing thing happened. The prison actually rang them up and said, we want you to start a church in our youth facility. That's amazing, isn't it? But what had happened was this connection with community, the love and trust that they had for the church had grown and grown. And so... All of a sudden, they had this opportunity to influence in a place where it seemed like it was impossible. Why am I telling you this? I just want you to be encouraged, church, that it is your love that will break through, that churches are meant to be a different community to what we're living in, and and we're meant to be loving, caring, supportive, obviously honest, obviously people with integrity, but sometimes it feels like because everything around us is just seems to be chaotic, that it seems to be maybe even anti-church, anti-religion, whatever it might be, that, that we can do one of two things. We can either draw into our shell and be like a turtle that pulls its head in, pulls its legs in and just sits there and does nothing and protects itself or we can actually just keep getting on with life as Christians building a community that, that is solid and strong, that is based on the Word of God, that, that lives the way that Christ wants us to live. I remember hearing a story of, um, I think it was St. Patrick in Ireland, and what he did was they wouldn't actually go into a village and begin preaching and um, trying to change that village. What they did was set up communities outside that village. So you'd have a village there, St. Patrick and his followers, who were were Christians, would set up another village down the road. They began to trade. They began to interact with the the people of that village. And what they found time after time again was that people became so attracted to the way they lived their life that people would be moving from village to village 
out of what they were in into the community of God. This is a big challenge for us as Christians, isn't it? To, to live godly, to live outside what the rest of community lives and be bold and strong and confident that the way God wants us to live, the things that he wants us to do are attractive. They're attractive to me, I know that for sure. Without Jesus Christ, I would be lost, wouldn't you? Without the faith in this God of the universe, I would find myself lost and hopeless and wandering. Christians, we have this amazing gift of God that we can take hold of. I just want to encourage you to live the way that Jesus wants you to live because in the end, it is so attractive. And that goes too for your whole life. For those, those of you who might not be confident in yourself, be confident in Christ and you will find that you will become this very attractive person. And I don't mean handsome, beautiful, although you may be that. Your life will reflect Christ and that will draw men to him. Okay, what are we talking about today? I forgot to bring my notes up. Crazy little fella. Maybe I should get them. We'll see how we go. <laughs> We're going to be looking at John chapter 5 in a minute, the story of uh, a man there who was lame that Jesus came and healed. But what's been really resting in my heart about this story is the way that God broke through hopelessness and gave hope to someone. Broke through, it's a little book in there, baby. <laughs> he broke through disillusionment and actually gave life to someone who, who was, was looking, was standing, well, actually he wasn't standing because he was crippled, but he was gathered with this whole group of people that were in this hopeless case. In fact, the place that they were gathering was this, uh, um, this pool of Beth, Bethsaida, which was, when it's translated, means a place of mercy. But around this pool, there were five porches, so five places they could lay. Maybe it looked like this, but filled with people that were blind, that were crippled, that were deaf, that were injured. In some way, they were not whole. and they were, they were waiting around this pool, and as we read this story, you'll, you'll see that this gathering of people was a common occurrence. Because what was said to happen at this pool was at some stage an angel would come down and the waters of this pool would, would ripple and bubble, and the first person that could jump in that pool would be healed. So they had all these people waiting around, when will be my moment? When will it be that God will actually do something in my life? Now, you'd have to say that this is probably true, that it was happening, because these people kept waiting, kept hoping that they might be the first person that would jump in this pool and receive their healing. This might have just been a place where they could actually connect their faith. Do you know how it is with faith sometimes? It's like, I believe you can do it, but I don't believe you will. There's this sort of passivity about our faith. It's like, God, I know you can do anything, but you won't. I know you can heal me, but you won't. I know you can take away my depression, but you won't. I know you can help me through these hard times, but you won't. There's this faith in God that we have sometimes that it's like, I know who you are, God. I know what you can do, but I actually... 
Don't think you will. I'm actually a person of faith without faith. I'm a person that believes but doesn't actually have faith that God will come through. But for the people there, it seemed that this point where they, they gathered around, that was their point of faith. If only I can jump in that pool, I will be healed. And at that moment, they were looking and saying, this is the answer to me getting what I want. As soon as that water bubbles, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump in. Yeah, you can bring it up if you want. Thanks. And I will be healed. There is this, this active faith that would, would be stirred within them. And we see that also with that woman with the issue of blood in the Bible, the story where she came and touched the hem of Jesus. If only I can touch the hem of his garment, then I will be healed. And I just wanted to sort of talk about that today in relation to us with our faith, with God. Where, where do we sit? And I don't mean just in that area of healing. Perhaps there is something in your life where you're like, yeah, I know Jesus heals, but he won't heal me. There's thousands of other people sitting on the porches around the pool. And I know that I won't get to God before them. He's got more important things to do than look after me. But it could be with your salvation even. This morning you're sitting here, you're not saved, and you're like, yeah, I know I need God in my life, but there's going to be a better time. I'm just going to look on at the moment. I'm going to sit here in my crippled condition spiritually and just wait, maybe there'll be something that will, will be that moment when I, when I actually follow Jesus. We're going to talk about that today. Some of the things that are in people's hearts waiting for that time. Or perhaps it's in obedience to God. I know, God, you've asked me to do something, but I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for the right time, the right conditions, the right whatever it might be to happen, and then I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Then I'm going to jump in. But the problem with that is we're going to miss out on what God actually has for us. So let's, let's read the passage, hey? So this is in John chapter 5. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the pool of Beth. Sorry, Bethesda. I think I said Bethsaida last time. Let's go Bethesda. <laughs> With five covered porches, crowds of sick people, blind, lame or paralysed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he'd been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. It goes on from there with a bit of a talk about the Sabbath and how Jesus was the Lord of the Sabbath. You might notice there that there's one verse missing, verse 4. So that's something that was added in a little bit later in, a, in some of the versions, but in the original manuscript that wasn't there. But later on it talks about the pool bubbling and, and it was that an angel had came down and disturbed those waters. And that's the verse that wasn't there. 
What about that man lying there? Let's just imagine that that was you. And it probably is you in some part of your life. 38 years the man had been crippled. That's a reasonably long time, wouldn't you say? 38 years, I'm, you know, just turned 39, so I know that it's, it's a long time. <laughs> the man was crippled. The man was lying next to a pool where he had to be the first to jump in. What do you think his chances were? I think he answered that question quite well when he said himself, when Jesus said, well, do you actually want to be healed? He's saying, yeah, but there's no one here to help me into the pool when the water bubbles. In other words, at the moment, I'm looking on from outside, I'm looking at the, at the people that might get there first and now I, I would be in an advantage if I was just blind but I could hear the water bubble and jump in. I'd be in an advantage if I was deaf, I could be there and just jump in as soon as I saw the water bubble. But this man had no way of getting in. He's lame. Yet still he stood, well, he didn't stand there, I said that again. He lay there with this hope, but the hope was covered in hopelessness. In other words, I'm hoping this is what I want, but I know I'm not going to get it. But just the thought of the possibility of getting it is good enough for me at the moment. I'm going to live in this state. But how many of us know that that's not a good way to live? Perhaps in your life there's things that you feel hopeless about. Exactly the same way, but not, not in a crippled way. You're not, your body's not crippled, but there's something in your life where you're like, this is never going to go. There's a habit that you know needs to be broken. There's, there's something that needs to be dealt with. There's a relationship that you just can't fix. Maybe there is a health issue where you're just like, I know this is never going to go. What we see here when Jesus came on the scene was that, that all of a sudden we see that Jesus is the one who gives power to the powerless people, to us. People who can't change things, who, who sit there in this hopelessness with hope, but looking at the wrong thing. We see that with the, with the Pharisees. As soon as the guy was healed, what's the first thing they noticed? It wasn't, you're walking. What's going on? The first thing they saw was this. Why are you carrying your mat? Don't you know it's the Sabbath and carrying that mat, it must be over a certain weight, so we're going to consider that to be work. You're breaking the law. You see, so often we look at what is worldly, the things that are around us, and we consider those things that, that they're the answer, but Jesus turned the man's eyes upon him and he asked him that question, do you want to be healed? The guy didn't actually say yes to that. But of course he did. And Jesus didn't have this big crusade there. He was talking to this one man that was sitting there in that hopelessness and said, I want you to look at me. Do you want to be healed? He wasn't saying, do you want to be healed as a question. Of course he did. The guy's sitting around 
you know, this pool where people jump in and get healed. The same this morning as you're sitting here in church, you might be sitting here going, my heart is broken. I feel despair. And Jesus would say to you, do you want to be healed? Do you want that thing in your life to get lost? Do you want it to go? Do you want it to, to flee away from you as far as it can? Of course you do. But we're going to look at some of the things that sometimes people are waiting for before they see God move, but we shouldn't be doing that. Jesus is looking at you and saying right now, do you want to be healed? Not so that you can be teased, that he could walk by you and say, sorry, I know you want to be healed, but ha-ha, you can't jump in the pool. He's walking by so that he can say to you, rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. The word of Jesus came and healed that man that day and lifted him out of where he was to where he was meant to be. The trueness, the fullness of what he could have in life. And sometimes we're sitting there as Christians in the pew today and sometimes we hear the, the call, come forward if you want prayer. And in our hearts we're like, yeah, I, I should go forward, but you know, I just don't know why I'm not. But I might just sit on this porch with all the other crippled and broken people still. Because maybe today is not the day for me. Yet the Bible declares very clearly today is the day of salvation. That there is no moment in time like the present with God. It's now. And he cries out, what are you waiting for? What, what is it that's stopping your heart, grabbing hold of the things that I have for you? What is it that, that makes you want to lie there still and sit back and look and, and hope and long, but then there's something that's stopping you? What possibly could that be? Because there is no barrier to him. The barrier is always in our heart. What are we putting between ourselves and the promise of God in our life? The power to the powerless. When we trust in him, there's this confidence and movement in our heart. And it may be that that's even in the things God's asking you to do. You see, God's commandments are awesome. You might look at him and say, I can't keep them. Or he might put a call on your life and say, you need to do something. That is his will. Can I just tell you something? Whenever we attempt to do what we know is the master's will. Because he's given himself for us, our power will be equal to our desire. What does that mean? It means that when I need to do something, if I desire it and we know that that desire comes from God to do his will, he will match it. I want to do this for you, God, but I feel so hopeless. I want to be obedient, God, in my heart, but I can't. I want to break this habit, but it's impossible. Let me tell you right now that if he is placing the desire in your heart to do something, to break something, to go somewhere, to do something for him, 
that he will supply every little bit of power to match that desire in your life so that you can have a breakthrough. That is how God works. He lifts us out of that powerless state and gives us the power through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. What a blessing it is. And we know that Christ was the healer there. Get your eyes upon him. Get your eyes upon him. And I just want to maybe challenge a few things that might be in your heart about either being obedient to God or giving your life to him, submitting fully to his purpose and plan for your life. So often we are waiting with the foolish people sitting on the porches waiting for that water to bubble waiting for it to bubble why do we do that why do we look on here's some of the reasons that that you might hear that we don't work for jesus that we don't live for jesus that we don't come to him for healing that we don't come to him for salvation Maybe you're waiting for the more convenient season. I'm busy right now. It's not convenient for me at the moment to serve Jesus. It's not convenient for me to come to him. I'm waiting for it to be the right time. Ecclesiastes says that a farmer that waits for the right conditions will never sow a seed. And they will never harvest a crop. So many Christians are waiting for that perfect moment. But at the moment, life's getting in the way of me being fully Christian, of me dedicating myself fully to Christ, of me giving up my life for him. It's not convenient for me now. When things are right, when the weather's just right, the sun's the right distance in the sky, when my workplace is exactly as it should be, when my family's exactly as it should be, when I have the right material things, when I've finally bought a house, when I finally feel that things are right, then, Jesus, I'm going to serve you. Do you know the time that you'll do it? Never. Things are never convenient. Perhaps it's this. You're waiting for a dream or a vision. If only God could capture my heart in this amazing way, then I'll give my life to him. I want to be, you know, living for Jesus, but he needs to give me a dream and a vision. And it has to be big. And then I'll move towards Jesus. Oh no, you know what it is? I need to wait for a sign from heaven. A wonder. Let me wait for that. I'm looking for the sign and the wonder. And then finally I'm going to do what Jesus is asking me to do. Finally I'm going to give my life to him. Finally I'm going to trust in him for my healing and my health. Give me a sign, give me a wonder. The word of God is not enough. The very fact that God says, I am the God that heals you and takes sickness and disease out of your midst is not enough for me. It's not enough that God says, I am your healer. It's not enough that he says, by Jesus' stripes, I was healed. I need a sign in heaven. I need a wonder. I need something to convince me that what God says is true.
How often does that paralyze a Christian person? Jesus told, told his disciples off in a way. He'd sent them out. Go ministering. Guys, go to houses. Come back and report to me. And they said, Jesus, it was amazing. Even the devils obeyed us. Jesus just said, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice rather that your name is written in the book of life. You see, those things are important, but they're not what God calls us to. He calls us to be involved in them. But he's saying, if your faith is only going to go forward because you see a sign or a wonder, you are going to miss everything. Well, maybe I need to be compelled. Maybe the preacher needs to get up and say, you need to do this. That's when I'll do it. When finally I feel like there's enough pressure on me to do it, that's when I'll do it. I'm not going to surrender myself. It has to be a wrestle of faith. I'm going to wrestle all the way, God against you, against what's being said, and I'm going to wrestle until you finally force me to do it. Then I'm going to do it. What about this one? You're waiting for a revival. When there's a revival, then I'm going to hit the prayer meeting. When there's a revival, that's when I'm going to get into the Word of God. When there's a revival, that's when I'm going to preach to my neighbours and tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. When there's revival, I won't be able to help it, so, so that's when I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you haven't given your heart to God and you're like, well, when I finally feel the Spirit move, when you know those conditions are right, when I see everyone praising the Lord, I'll join in then. Are you waiting for a revival? Or are you creating revival in your own life where God is coming alive every single day? Or maybe there's a feeling that you're waiting for. I'm just waiting till I feel that it's right. So many people will use that word. I use it myself. It just feels like. It just feels like. But what I'm talking about this is when it feels right, I can do it. When I've finally got overcome with emotion, when the praise and worship, the start of the service has finally touched my heart, then I'll give myself to Jesus. When I'm finally brought to tears, oh, when that overwhelming gush of God runs over me, you know what? That's when I'm committing. That's when I'm moving forward. Is, is that what you're waiting for? I don't feel like it. I don't feel like praying. Can I just tell you something? No one feels like praying. I don't feel like reading the word. I won't say no one feels like it, but come on. You, know, you had a hard day, you've been working all day, you had a big long day and come home and now you've got to put the kids to bed and you have a bit of time, you've got to do the dishes, you're tired and you're just like, I don't want to read the word of God. Has anyone felt like that? Because I have. And I presume I'm not really any different to any of you guys. But you see, a Christian life based on your feelings is not a life of faith. It's a life of wandering. Where's the wind blowing today? And can I just tell you right now, you probably never feel like it to start with. But once that word of God grabs hold of you because you've made a decision that I'm going to get into this word, I'm going to let it build in my life, 
It's amazing what can happen, you see, because the Word of God is alive and powerful. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword that divides between the soul and the spirit. There's something about the Word of God when you begin to let it grow in your life, when you make that decision against your feelings, that it begins to pierce your soul in so many ways, in good ways, though, that, that, that the pain is so joyful. It's like you read that Word of God and it exposes your innermost thoughts and, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm like that. But at the same time, on that double-edged sword, there's this amazing grace that flows from the throne of heaven itself that says, yes, you're like that, but you know what? I've forgiven you. I've set you free and I'm going to let you walk again. I'm going to let you come out of where you are and move you into where you're meant to be in the spiritual realm that you are no longer bound by the things of this earth because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and he is greater than what is in this world. He's greater than your problem. He's greater than your habit. He's greater than your shortcomings. And he feels all in all the power from above that rescued you and that lives in you. You see, the Word of God was made to bring your spirit alive, yet so many times we're like these dry bones that are sitting in the desert waiting. But God's saying, if you want flesh built into your life, get into the living Word, the water of the Word of God. Soak in it. Let it grow you. Let it fill you. Let it shape you. Let it make you become all that you're meant to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you waiting for the feeling? I'm just waiting till I feel like worshipping God. What are you talking about? There are times and it grows within you. Like I would say right now, my heart is so thankful every second of every day. And that's the point that comes when you make the decision, I will worship you, God, regardless of the circumstance at the moment, I will worship you. You will find that throughout your life, the worshipful heart builds a worshipful spirit. The worshipful spirit concentrates on God, what he's done, the good things of God, the love, the kindness, the grace, the mercy. And worship doesn't become a chore. It becomes a joy. And the beautiful thing about worship, when we enter in, say even in here, and I know it's all of life, but when we enter in here with that heart inclined to worship, God says, I love to dwell in the praises of my people. I love to be there. The presence of God ushered in by the Holy Spirit through worship. How do we enter in? I've told this story before, but I'll just say it again. I remember going to church in Brisbane and my friend brought his unsaved girlfriend at the time. She sat there. The worship was going. You could feel the presence of God. She just wept the whole time through worship. Why was that? She wasn't connected to God in a way that we would think you know, are you a Christian? What was happening was the presence in that place 
the presence of worship that allowed the Holy Spirit to move and minister to her. I've heard of stories of like when in Azusa Street where there was a Pentecostal revival that people just sat there in silence in the church and people would come in without a word being spoken and they would give their lives to God. The presence of the place brought through people that aren't waiting for that feeling to worship God. They just do it. And perhaps maybe you think it has to be a certain person. It can't be Jacob sitting in the front row that prays for me. It can't be Debbie sitting in the third row on the left-hand side that prays for me. It was Billy Graham's son. Franklin. He prayed for me. Then it would all be right. You see, this is why Jesus said, get your eyes off those things. Look at me. The power of God has been released through every single Christian in this place. Every single Christian in this place. We are asked to lay hands on each other and pray. Every single Christian in this place has the same access to God, although they don't always gain the same access to God. What do I mean by that? They don't push into him so that they understand what they have. But as people, sometimes we limit God's work in our life because we're thinking if it's only that certain person, now I'm not saying that's always a bad thing, that point of faith, you understand what I'm saying? But we need to change that point of faith and say, no, it's Christ working through people. And we are asked to pray for one another. We are asked to intercede for one another. We are asked to lay hands on the sick so that they would recover. We are asked to share the good news and make disciples. Every single Christian. <coughs> Every single Christian. And that is one of these things where we are lame as Christians. We don't believe that God can actually work through us. I don't know who it might be here today. But I'm sure there's some of you that are sort of like, I can't pray for people. I know God can move through me, but he won't. I can't talk to my friends about Jesus. I know that God can use me, but he won't. I want to tell you right now, that the power of God has been made available to every single believer, anyone that believes in him. And the Bible declares that you are an able minister of the gospel of Christ. There is nothing in this world that can stop you being who you should be in Jesus except you. That you sit there on a porch, crippled, broken, sick, whatever it might be, and live in a hope that is hopeless. 
but Jesus is walking by you right now. And this is the thing. When Jesus said to that man, do you want to be healed? And he says, I can't, blah, 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 blah. Jesus didn't argue. He didn't say, yeah, you're right. Maybe here, wait with me and I'll throw you in. Jesus said, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And perhaps today God is asking you to do something that you feel is impossible. And Jesus is saying, today, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Don't stay there any longer because Jesus wants to do something powerful in your life. And I'm just going to open up for prayer in a second for that. All right. If that's you this morning, where you've felt a little bit paralysed, you've been looking on and thinking that's for everyone else, I want you to come forward this morning. Don't hold back today, please. Just get the elders to come and pray with you. Other people can pray with you. It really doesn't matter. I'll pray for you. But what we're going to pray is that today you would listen to the voice of Jesus, that you would take the steps that are needed to walk into his will. Remember what I said? If there's a desire in you, then Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, sent from God, the Father, will match that desire with the power, the strength to be able to do it, complete it. Because in him, you have everything you need. And maybe even this morning, you're looking on and you haven't even given your heart to Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Don't delay any longer. Make the decision today. You're like, but what about my life? What do I have to give up? Can I tell you right now that that step of faith into God will not go unrewarded. Whatever you need, he will give you. And the first thing that we need is forgiveness of our sin and restored relationship with Jesus, with the Father through Jesus. If that's you this morning, I'm just going to pray. And when we stand and when people come to the front, and please don't delay today, guys. Don't delay. Let the Spirit do something this morning in your life. Don't hold back. Don't sit in your seat. Stand in where you're standing and come up knowing that you need something, a breakthrough this morning. You come up. Jump in the pool, I guess. But the thing is, the pool is open to everyone in Jesus. Isn't it? The beauty of God is that he has an unlimited resource. Let's stand and, and we'll just pray. Perhaps perhaps you need Jesus, so I'm going to pray a prayer. You pray with me and give your life to him today. And then we'll sing. We'll open up the front for people to get prayed for. As soon as they come up, can we just get one of the elders or something to come and pray? Release people into what God has for them. Don't delay today. Let God move. Let's invite Jesus in if you've never done it before.
Father God, I'm so sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. I want to walk in your love and I want to know you this morning. Come into my life. I believe Jesus died for my sin and I want to accept that forgiveness today. I believe you raised him from the dead and you'll raise me as well. I want to walk in that new life today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, I pray. From this day on, I will live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's sing. And see, there's already a couple of people come out. That's awesome. I'm just going to pray. Release the Holy Spirit. Release his power to break. But take that moment. What is it? What's Jesus telling you this? Get up. Come on, get up. Get up. Come on, you're a powerful person in Christ. Get up. Pick up your mat. Stop lying on it, carry it. Problem's nothing. And walk.